Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, the Quarantine Act has now been imposed on Canadians returning home from travel. A mandatory 14-day period of isolation on all people coming into Canada from outside Canada. The government continues to look at ways to help individuals and businesses weather the coronavirus crisis. From our perspective, we've realized is that there will be Canadians, many Canadians, who find themselves without income, perhaps already and certainly in the coming days. And that's why we put that at the very first thing on our agenda. Pretty much simultaneously, we've said we need to support businesses so that they can bridge this time from from where we are today to when we get through this issue. And will Canada be at risk if Donald Trump follows through on his promise to begin ramping down social distancing by April 12th? I know people are seeing different graphs about how effective social distancing can be and new maps tracking the spread of this virus. Every time you turn on the TV or go online, you probably read something new. I know I do. And you'll want to know what's coming next. It's Thursday, March 26th. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by National Post columnist John Iveson. Good morning, John. Good morning, Mark. So the Quarantine Act has now been imposed, and people who are returning to the country as of today from outside the country are going to have to be kept indoors for 14 days, and the government uh, is basically saying that's mandatory now. There's no choice about this. Uh, this certainly is a sign of, of how uh, serious the situation is if the government is going to take uh, such a measure. Right. I mean, you would imagine in, in normal circumstances there would be absolute uproar at the government limiting freedom of movement like this. But, you know, clearly these are not normal times, and, and uh, I think the the population is in, in agreement that uh, the government should be imposing strict mandatory quarantine rules on people who are coming back into the country, given the, it, well, certainly at one point, the source of most of the infection was, was travellers and people who were with them. It's clearly spread into the community now, and I think it's it's still, you know, it's spread 50-50 or so now. But, you know, people are coming from, from places where there's far greater infection, and I think the public's tolerance for those people to self-isolate for 14 days, or not now self-isolate, but isolate under mandatory quarantine. Yeah, uh, I think the, the appetite is, uh, is there. How far could these measures go, though, in the end? As you say, there's community infection that's happening as well, uh, and so you, you have to wonder if, if these measures don't work, if, if, the, if the spread continues and the infection rate continues to rise, whether uh, whether there will have to be further measures. How far could the government go in these circumstances? Well, I mean, I guess a, a ban on interprovincial trade or interprovincial movement is is possible. I think Nova Scotia has already said, you know, nobody leaves the province, which is pretty draconian. You know, I think that, that, that governments are going to do whatever they think is going to contain this thing. And the public is going to support them in doing that. So if we see even the Emergencies Act invoked, which, you know, it, if if you read it, it, it allows um, the, the, the government to do all sorts of things with private property, private wealth, private um, movement. Um, you know, these are extreme times. And the government, is a, as Justin Trudeau has said numerous times, is prepared to take extreme measures if it thinks that they will be effective. 
Do you think the public uh, uh, tolerance of that uh, has limits? Is there is there a limit on how far the government can go or how long these measures could be in place before the public will start to get antsy? Yeah, I think the, the timeline is more, you know, in, in the short term, I think the government can do pretty much what it needs to do. But as we saw in Parliament the other day, there is a sense that if that timeline extends beyond the immediate uh, crisis, you know, the government wanted to have free reign in Parliament to spend and borrow until the end of 2021, a 21-month period. So I think if draconian measures were put in place for that extreme timeline, then there may be some disquiet among the population. You know, I think that at some point, the government is going to have to make the decision that we've flattened the curve to some extent, and we do need to try and protect the economy. And at some point, some attempt to return to normalcy as far as employment is going to have to be made. Now, you know, Donald Trump is talking about doing that at Easter. You know, clearly anybody who's looking at this thing knows that that is too early. So I think that the Canadian government's not going to go anywhere near that. But at some point, and it's not clear when that will be, there needs to be a pivot towards making sure the economy does not collapse completely. Because the uh, a collapse of the economy and a significant economic downturn would cause uh, a risk to the health of Canadians as well, especially the most vulnerable, right? So there's, it's it's not a choice between, as some people have portrayed it, between human health and the economy, because the economy has an impact on human health as well. Of course, of course. And I think that, that uh, you know, everybody's aware of this, and it's just a question of, the timing of that move, um, you know, the measures the government has put in place are temporary measures. And, you know, you can't indefinitely pay uh, EI or income support or whatever the, the measure might be uh, in perpetuity. And at some point, that transition has to be made back towards um, getting people back into work. I mean, the income su- support program, for example, is more likely to be. Uh, to connect employers and employees while they're laid off. And so at some point, the employers bring those employees back into their jobs because the economy is starting to move again. So the idea that that this is in perpetuity, I think, is is not the way the programs are conceived. What if Donald Trump and the U.S. administration do relax the rules in an effort to get the economy going in the United States again and allow more movement among people uh, before Canada does? Uh, Does that present a a risk to Canadians, and is it something the government would have to act on, our government? Well, I think clearly it does present a risk. I mean, fortunately, the border is closed to to all but essential uh, trade and travel. So you would imagine the limits would be uh, the effects would be limited. I mean, they, they, what the, what Canada can do in that instance is, is is also pretty limited. I mean, we rely on the U.S. for so much of our trade for for food for medicines. I think it would be a very uh, it would have to be a very extreme case for the government to say all trade and all people from the U.S. Uh, are are blocked. Uh, it just seems to be unthinkable that, that uh, I mean, presumably for electoral reasons, the President of the United States would put at risk his own people. 
Yeah. All right. Let's turn to what the government is doing to help Canadians. Uh, And we've talked already about what they're doing to restrict the movements of Canadians out of necessity. But uh, I know a lot of people are already asking the package that was passed this week. Does it go far enough or is more going to need to be done in order to support Canadians who are struggling through this crisis? Well, I think there are real question marks. I mean, we're we're clearly moving from the political phase. I mean, that was an, an intense political period where I think the government clearly overreached in what it was attempting to do. Um, it had an agreement with the House leaders from all the other parties to implement the measure the Prime Minister had announced the previous week. And it went beyond that, went far beyond that. And it, was, it seemed uh, a total overreach and completely unnecessary trust, which is a very rare commodity among politicians, has broken down now among the parties, and it's going to be harder to get agreement in the future. But that now appears to be in the rearview mirror. The bill has been passed. We're now in the implementation phase of the relief measures. Um, you know, the government, is, I think, is doing all it can to to up the, the staffing levels and up the technology that's that's being devoted to processing a lot of these these uh, claims. But, you know, we saw an average, the average week, the number of EI claims is somewhere around 27,000. We're now, we've now seen a million new claims in the last two weeks. Clearly that backlog is going to take a long time to, to, to be processed. And in the meantime, you've got people sitting at home, newly unemployed, perhaps for the first time, with rent, with, with food to buy, perhaps no savings. It's a very anxious and stressful time for people. And I think that, um, that this, it's not predictable. It was, it was known that there were going to be huge processing problems here. And I think the alternative method that was of doing this was a, a, a basic income for all Canadians that could have been sent out by the Canada Revenue Agency at very short notice. And clawed back in the next tax year if it was felt that the people who received the money did not need it. Um, I'm not quite sure why the government didn't go down that route. It seems that it would have avoided a lot of these processing problems. The other major problem, obviously, as well, is that companies are laying off workers because they know that they can claim EI, and that's adding to the problem. And I think the government, at some point, is going to have to step in and do something to ensure that those workers are retained by their employers, some kind of wage subsidy, which we've seen in in Denmark. It's not, nothing is ever easy, and I think even in those cases, the money is not being paid for employers to actually keep the the workers in their jobs. The the money is being paid to keep them in the employ of the employer. Right. it's a it's a, a bit of a complicated scheme, but it but it essentially keeps those people off EI, and I think at the moment, given the the, the backlog problems, that would be a, something the government would like to do. All right, we'll see where today takes us. John, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Okay, Mark, thanks a lot. Bye. That's John Iveson of the National Post. The hard truth is that people are out of work because of this crisis, and worried about what comes next. So I want you to know that we'll be there to help you. Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. At cbc.ca, Aaron Wherry argues when Canadians needed their MPs to act like adults, they delivered. Wherry writes, 
Canada's passing of emergency measures to address COVID-19 might someday serve as a case study in the politics of pandemic. It was not quite the circus-like atmosphere we've come to associate with Parliament. For the most part, political actors across Canada seem to have decided that there are no points to be scored right now, or at least that the public would take a dim view of anyone trying to score points in the midst of a national health emergency. In the National Post, Terry Glavin cautions about wartime propaganda as we battle the coronavirus. Glavin writes, Donald Trump has called himself a wartime president. French President Emmanuel Macron said we are at war. The enemy is invisible and it requires our general mobilization. Fair enough. But we should be very careful that we don't allow the confines of approved terminology to leave us unmoored from the realities of this crisis. That's how colossally stupid public policy mistakes get made. It's also how the powerful get away with occluding the truth and telling outright lies. In the Globe and Mail, Gary Mason argues Canada must be ready for the mayhem Donald Trump is about to unleash. Mason writes, Trump is promising to begin ramping down social distancing by April 12th. This has already caught the attention of the Prime Minister's office, and to say there is worry there would be a gross understatement. It could mean tightening restrictions at the border even further. If the virus spreads because of a decision by the President, that would mean Americans coming into Canada will be at greater risk of carrying the disease. Now, here's what's coming up on Canada's political agenda. With the federal and provincial governments announcing measures to try to counter the coronavirus, there are still calls for the federal finance minister to do more. CPAC's Martin Stringer explains. Mark, after the $82 billion aid package was passed by the House of Commons yesterday, Finance Minister Bill Morneau appeared before the Senate and he took a series of probing questions from the senators uh, uh, wanting to know when more aid might be on the way. He answered uh, by saying the same thing that the Prime Minister has been saying for a week now and that this first multi-billion dollar aid package is just a start and that new additional measures are on the way. Morneau, though, was also grilled specifically about aid to Canada's oil patch. And he said, quote, discussions are ongoing even overnight with senior bankers over a new financial credit arrangement to help both the provinces and the uh, oil companies in related industries. So both uh, Prime Minister Trudeau and uh, Minister Morneau have also been asked about getting more money quickly to Canadians, to individuals, and giving more help to small and medium-sized businesses who've made it clear that, according to them, the current aid package doesn't go far enough, nearly far enough, in preventing them from having to go bankrupt. So the big question is when the additional measures will be played out. The thinking is that the Prime Minister is waiting for a better evaluation of how much deeper the economic problems will be. But with the Finance Minister continually referring to the aid package for the oil sector, people in that sector are hoping and thinking that that announcement might be imminent. Thanks, Martin. Also today, the Prime Minister will speak with G20 leaders, followed by a news conference to update Canadians on the coronavirus situation. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Thursday, March 26th. Tune into Primetime Politics throughout the day today for continuing coverage of the crisis and to Primetime Politics tonight. Our podcast returns tomorrow morning. Have a great day.